Hi, my name is Ken Heidebrook. My heart's desire here at Hanging on His Words is to spread the entirety of the gospel message to whoever will hear it and to serve my Creator by helping people learn how to be obediently in covenant with Him. Hanging on His Words is a ministry that not only teaches others how to run this faith race, but does so through compelling video and musical content. If you are someone that has personally been blessed by my music or video teachings or both, please consider contributing to my efforts. My goals are to step up my music and video production value, and more importantly, to create content on a more frequent and full-time basis. This is where you, you, yes, you, my patrons can make this possible. Whether your support is financial or through prayers and encouragement, I just wanted to say thank you very much. Welcome to Hanging on His Words. My name is Ken Heiderbrecht. I am the host here at Hanging on His Words. And you're watching season three of Honor of Kings, a show that I do with my brother and in-house scholar, Sean Griffin. How's it going, brother? Hey, Ken. How you doing? Good to see you this week. Thank you for uh, for joining me again to do this awesome deep dive into a new a book that uh, no longer is in our Bible. Yes, it no longer is in our Bible. And this is a common theme that we're witnessing in this show is that there are books that are no longer in our Bibles or were never put in our Bibles, yet they tend to be in other canons throughout the world. And um, it's interesting because when we start to look into why these books were removed or were just were never added to begin with, uh, we start to see that there's some malicious intent behind the removal or even just some plain ignorance regarding the storyline, I guess, of, of what we would call classically the 66 books of the Protestant canon. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny that, um, the, some of the reasoning we've found that some of these books were taken out of the American Bible was, uh, ludicrous. Like it's not, it's not scholarly based. It's not theologically based. Um, it's just simply men who either don't like a book or don't understand a book yet. They were somehow in a position of making this decision which just blows me away, you know? And, yeah. uh, and so then they had access to publishers um, over a hundred years ago who started publishing new Bibles without these books in them. And so then we just get this revisionist history that's slowly creeping up on the body of believers. And now this, the, the literature that they had once available to them for thousands of years is suddenly being minimized. And then therefore all these questions are being created and as a result of that, you have a lot of confusion, a lot of fighting. And then there's all these denominations that spring up out of this confusion because people are working with, you know, partial information. Yeah, exactly right. And it's the enemy doing what he does best. And it's dividing and conquering as best that he can. And unfortunately, we're seeing not only malicious intent with the removal of some of these books, but the overall agenda for removing the books is due to men who do not want 
content that's in those books regarding the son of man, regarding certain concepts like the priesthood of our Messiah being known and, and uh, taught throughout the body of believers. So it's, it's very fascinating. And the more that we peel back layers, the more we see that it's not just simple ignorance. It's not just someone thinking, I don't know if I like this book or I don't quite understand it. It's that they do understand it, yet they have their own agenda to make sure that other people aren't buying into what those books are saying. Yeah, and today the, the book of Susanna that we're going to take a peek at, uh, this is a unique one because this was actually uh, has a longstanding history that we're going to talk about during this episode, and the the very pe the descendants of the very people who lived and wrote this book rejected it, and that's the Pharisees of Judaism because they have a very strong bias against Daniel, and Daniel is is a highlighted character in this book um, as it lines up with his time in Babylon and some of the events that took on there. So. It's very interesting because, you know, as you know, the the, the book of Daniel um, is, you know, wonderfully uh, prophesying about our Messiah, and of course, Pharisee Judaism rejects the Messiah. So, it's it's very unique. But Ken, do you want to let people know, in case they've ever never seen this show before, because uh, this is season three, and we're already, already into episode seven this season. But would you like to let them know what this what this whole show is about, in case you've never seen it? Yeah, absolutely. The premise is simple. Sean and I, we've taken books that we are putting on screen and reviewing for you guys, and we've studied them. We've corresponded with each other, with other believers who have been interested in these books and have tested them to see the if the validity of what they claim is true to what we would call the 66 books in our Western Protestant canon. And we go sometimes line by line, depending on which book we're going, like tonight we will be. Uh, in other instances, we've we've picked and choose certain chapters out of larger books and put that forward for your consideration. And uh, we've had a really good time doing it. I know it's blessed other people. And unfortunately, others. Haven't quite looked why um, we're even in the first place. But um, so that's essentially what we do in a nutshell here at Honor of Kings. We test the books to what we know to be the Bible or what we've grown up to know as the Bible. And in the Western world here in Canada and in the United States and other countries, it's been the 66 book Protestant canon. Now, we don't claim that that is the only scriptures that are authoritative and, and teach good doctrine, which is also why we do this show. We, we looked at other books throughout all, all of history that have been in other canons, and we, we see what it is that they teach, and we see why they were moved. And at the end of the day, we, we like to come to a conclusion as to whether or not these can be considered scripture, or there was a good reason for why they were moved in the first place. Yeah, and one of our first tests that we apply to these concepts is to see if, is there prophecy in these books? Now, not all of them have actual prophecy in them. But um, if there is a prophecy in there, then then it starts to feel like, is this something that we can see that was intended to come true already or not? Um, it's If it's a prophecy that lines up with other prophets in the American Canon of 66, where sometimes the timeline of that prophecy is still in the future. And so, you know, therefore we have to gauge the validity of what that prophecy is saying in comparison to all the other prophets like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, Amos, those guys, um, if they're prophesying the same concept. Um, but if there's no prophecy in it, then we have to look at what is it actually theologically teaching? Is it teaching, you know, just like uh, the twofold 
test in Deuteronomy 13 about a dreamer of dreams or, you know, a false prophet, is he leading someone toward the covenant of Yahweh, which means the commandments of God? And if they're prophesying something that doesn't come true, then obviously they're a false prophet as well. So um, this is like the twofold test. So um, Ken, I don't think this book specifically has any prophecy in it because it's a short book that we're going to cover. But at the same time, we're going to we're going to hold up its theological teachings inside of it to the canon of 66 for everyone to see. So, right. Exactly. And before we get to doing that, I'd like to just say hi to some of the people that are live in our chat there. Brother Bill Craddock. Hello. How are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. Rose Dart. Sister, thanks for joining us again. Mary W. Shalom. We're excited that you guys are here. Mr. Paul Levi. Shalom, brother. Thanks for joining us again today. Carla Molberg. Shalom to you, sister. Thanks again for joining us. Who else we got? James 122. Shalom, family. He's saying, Shalom, brother. Thanks for coming back. David Shear. Our, our moderator on my channel and Sean's channel over at Kingdom Context. He's, he's a faithful moderator and he's quick to sending links in the chat when, when needed. So we appreciate that, brother. Thank you so much for your service. We appreciate it a lot. Uh, Stephen Schofield, you as well, brother. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Game Genie 11. I know who you are. How's it going, brother? Thanks for joining. <laughs> Latoya Christie, Shalom sister. Thanks for joining us. Scott McVicker, welcome back, brother. Charlie Hanscom, welcome. Thank you guys so much for joining us again. We really appreciate the uh, the support that you provide to both Sean and I here at Honor of Kings. And uh, yeah, we just love that there's other people that are thirsty for what these books contain. And um, it's an honor to be able to present them to you. So without further ado, I think we'll get into it. And as always, please like, share, subscribe, all those all those things that are necessary for channels like my, my channel and Sean's channel to grow and to reach other audiences out there in yeah. the interwebs. So please do hit that, that. Hit that like button, share it on your socials. This is the book of Susanna. Now, can I just throw this up just as an introduction to this book for a lot of people in case you didn't know. It just, uh, this is this is very common information that all scholars agree on for this book. It's just, it was translated from Hebrew into the Greek and was made part of the Septuagint in approximately 250 BC. That's when we get the first version of a Septuagint about uh, 250 years before the days of Yeshua. And it was made canon by the Roman Catholics, but it was considered apocryphal by Protestants. And then the rabbinical Judaism, like we already talked about, they do not recognize it in their canon uh, because they have a bias towards Daniel. <laughs> and Daniel's mentioned in this book. And, uh, and then also some translations of the Septuagint included Susanna as the actual 13th chapter of Daniel. So you could see why the rabbinical Pharisees would would want to discard this book, you know, along with their bias towards Daniel. So that's right. So it, it's in many canons, minus mm -hmm. Judaism's, and uh, you know, when the early Protestant canon, it, as it's written there on the screen, it was considered apocryphal. Now it's not even part of the Protestant canon whatsoever. But yeah, hey, can we? Hey, brother, I'm sorry, man. You cut out a little bit. I apologize. I'm not sure if anyone heard your last statement. Oh, I was just going to say, do you want to you want to start us off with the first few verses? Sure, brother. Okay, so here we got in, uh, the first seven verses here of Susanna. It says, there was a man living in Babylon. His name was Jehoiakim. He took a wife named Susanna, the daughter of Hilkiah, a very beautiful woman, and one who feared the Lord. Her parents were righteous and had taught their daughter according to the law of Moses. 
Jehoiakim was very rich and had a spacious garden adjoining his house. And the Jews used to come to him because he was the most honored of them all. In that um, excuse me. And in that year, two elders from the people were appointed as judges. Concerning them, the Lord had said, Iniquity came forth from Babylon, from elders who were judges, who were supposed to govern the people. These men were frequently at Jehoiakim's house, and all who had suits at law came to them. When the people departed at noon, Susanna would go into her husband's garden to walk. All right. So we're introduced right away to characters here. One is the name of Jehoiakim. And he is the husband of the, one of the main characters here, Susanna. And apparently she's a good-looking woman, Sean. Yeah, and it talks about this multiple times throughout this book, that she is striking. You know, she's a beautiful woman. Um, and then this is actually what causes the problem in the story. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. And her parents, I want to highlight, were righteous, which links that word to... The law of Moses, because they taught their daughter according to the law of Moses. So if you're if you're keeping the law of Moses and you're teaching it in your household, apparently that's a righteous thing to do. Yeah, yeah, and this is where we, you know, I think it's funny, and I love books like this because it really helps dispel this um, modern mainstream doctrine you hear, you know, passed around in a lot of modern churches where they say, "Well, oh, you you can't be righteous; you need the righteousness of Jesus." And I'm like, that's taken out of context. You you can do right behavior. And that's what Paul is trying to explain to us in Romans chapter 10, one through four, is that you can, the law of Moses does teach you right behavior, but the righteousness that you receive at the resurrection, when you get your glorified body, that's a, that's like a, you know, perfected right behavior. So yes. that's righteousness you receive from Christ when he, when he glorifies you. But now we're our part of our discipleship is to walk in right behavior, which is which is called righteousness in scripture. So this is why you see very uh, several people in the scriptures that are actually called righteous, and they're in their mortal flesh. Um, you know, even during the days before, during, and after Yeshua, people are called righteous because it's literally the definition of doing the instructions of God that were given to Moses. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And we want to put emphasis on that because even in 2020, guys. You can you can be considered righteous through yeah. through the deeds, right? Through not yeah. only just your faith, but through your actions and how you how you actually go about living your life according to how the Father has instructed us to live. So, yeah, we definitely want to encourage you guys to do that. If you're new to that concept, we've talked about it before, but uh, you know, leave comments if, if you want to learn more about why we even would bring up this idea of the law of Moses and attributing righteousness to that law. It's because it's the father's behavior and it's what he wants us as his children to do in order to show that we love him and love each other. So, yes. Yeah, it's literally Deuteronomy 625. The father tells you if you do his ordinances, statutes and commands, you'll be considered righteous. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay, so this so is Sean, I, I also think it's interesting real quick, Ken. It calls this gentleman uh, Jehoiakim. He says he's very rich. And I think that's interesting because you also have in a lot of mainstream doctrines that are taught today in churches, they'll say that. Um, because of what Jesus talked about in Matthew 19 and Luke 16 about the rich men, you know, and then, and then, um, that statement, he says, well, how hard is it for the rich to enter into heaven? You know, it's like going through the eye of the needle. And so therefore they, this, there's some wonky doctrines to get passed around make people think right. that you can't have money and actually be a good person at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true at all. Like Abraham had the wealth of Kings and he was still considered righteous. This, this guy, Jehoiakim also 
is very rich to have a spacious, you know, garden that we're going to be reading about a little bit later. And so, um, but he's also diligently doing the law of Moses to the point where he's following Deuteronomy chapter six and actually teaching it to his children. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. And Job, Job is a prime yep. example too, who is someone who yep. is filthy rich, lost it and then even got more Yeah, at the end. So, yeah. yeah. Get double, double filthy rich afterwards. And the whole while he's considered righteous because he's keeping the heart and the commandments of God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Sean, you've got something highlighted here and this mm -hmm. is in. Um, was looking around to see, you know, was this quoted anywhere else and anything else, this idea of where the Lord had said iniquity came forth from Babylon, from elders who were judges who were supposed to govern the people. I'm interested to see, like, what do you think that, uh, you know, that relevance is? Is it is it hearkening back to anything that also that was written? This particular part, I just wanted to discuss just the fact that they're in Babylon. That's the setting of what this has taken place. But it says concerning them, the Lord has said. So this this actually puts this book in a unique category to where whoever's writing this book and we actually don't get the author. It's not Susanna. Many people think it's actually Daniel, but they're actually whoever's writing this book is saying Yahweh said something. So that's a huge claim for a book. You know what I'm saying? For them to actually make it start saying, thus saith the Lord in some of their writings. So the reason I kind of brought that up is because uh, Judaism wants to discard this and say that it's same thing with certain Protestant um, denominations. They want to discard it and say, well, it's apocryphal because there's no there's no moral teaching. It's just a story. It's just a commentary type story, right. you know, but yet you got to thus say it, the Lord in here, and we're going to get a lot of moral teaching, actually. <laughs> so wow. it's just, it starts to reveal people's bias about how they want to discard this book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we can read the next slide there if you want. Sure, brother. All right. So the two elders used to see her every day going in and walking out and about, and they began to desire her, and they perverted their minds and turned away their eyes from looking to heaven or remembering righteous judgments. Both were overwhelmed with passion for her, but they did not tell each other of their distress, for they were ashamed to disclose their lustful desire to possess her. And they watched eagerly day after day to see her. They said to each other, let us go home for it is mealtime. And when they went out, they parted from each other. But turning back, they met again. And when each pressed the other for the reason, they confessed their lust. And then together they arranged for a time when they could find her alone once, while they were watching for an opportune day, she went in as before with only two maids and wished to bathe in the garden, for it was very hot. Hmm. All right. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're uh, ramping things up a little bit here. Yeah, and this is where we basically just, you're getting two old creepy dudes. Two voyeurs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's two older men. And these were the guys that were appointed judges recently. And, and, um, and that's going to come into play. So just remember that, that these are two older men um, that, that, that are now giving in because it says at the top, you know, they turn their eyes away from looking to heaven or remembering righteous judgments. Mm -hmm. And then it tells you how desire grew within them. And the reason um, I had this highlighted here, Ken, is because we actually get this same concept explained in James chapter 1, 13 through 15. It says, yeah. let no one, no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot tempt, cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what the process we're about to read about, because these guys, 
are going through this process, James is explaining, and the end result, if they get their way, is going to be the death of Susanna. Right. And, and it's going to be bad. And of course, their, their death too, because they'll be guilty of great sin. But we also see the same concept here that they're violating because it says they turn their eyes from righteous judgment. And they're violating just one of the you know big commandments from Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife. You know, so this is like right there. And that's what they're doing. This is to me, I, you know, Ken, when I was younger, I used to tell my friends, I was like, because I grew up in an uh, atmosphere where there was a lot of churches teaching the prosperity gospel. And I used to tell some of my friends, you know, after church, I'd be like, man, why doesn't people, why don't these pastors teach on like other stuff like that we can apply in our everyday discipleship, like pride or coveting, you know, like they never teach on coveting. It's one of the 10 commandments, you know, and but here we have a situation where these elders who are supposed to be righteous, they're supposed to be following the commandments, but yet they're, they're stepping into this minefield that has an escalating path towards destruction of coveting their neighbor's wife to the point where it's leading into sin growing. And so um, that's, yeah. And then of course, this is, this is what we see in Matthew 5, 27 through 28 as well. Jesus is talking about, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say that everyone who looks with woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, and yeah. this, this is exactly what we're seeing these old dudes. Exactly. And, you know, as it was mentioned back in verse five, in that year, there was two elders from the people who they just saw appointed as judges. They've had, they've had positions of authority quite some time, right? If you're an elder, that's that's an authoritative position within your community. And if the community is, is doing things correctly, they're going to be appointing from a good pool of people who, you know, would, would, we would hope be keeping the law of God and would have a good reputation and all that stuff. Right. So if you're going to become a judge, that's, that's a prestigious position to have within that land. So it's just sad because we're going to see these guys completely abuse their power, um, throughout the rest of the narrative. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, uh, it seems to be, a consistent thing throughout Israel's history is that people were getting these positions of power and then abusing it. And the father already instructing many centuries earlier about if you're, you know, a judge, if you're this person, if you're that, make sure you hold to the standard that I have for someone who, who, you know, sits in such a position of authority because you're going to be judged greater. Essentially. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have a comment. Um, David Shears is saying that he's pointing out verse 12 that they had watched diligently from day to day to see her. So, I mean, these dudes, are, this is escalating to the point where these two guys are just stalking her. Well, and it's, it's <laughs> not to laugh because it's a, a pretty serious situation, but it just shows the depravity of, you know, the male mind once mm -hmm. it allows lust to conceive in your mind, right? And, you know, they, they were like, okay, guy, it was a good day. I'm going to go home and eat now. Okay, me too. See ya. And then just to see them circle back and be like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? It's like, uh, it's just so sad. Yeah. Yeah, man. This is like, you know, it's like two old guys running each other at the entrance of the strip club, you know? And they're like, oh, wait, it reminds me of that old joke. And this isn't about lust, but this is more about alcohol. But it reminds me of that old joke that I used to, um, I, I've heard people say about how do you tell the difference between a, a, a Methodist and a Baptist? that uh, at least the Methodist will say hi to you at the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's like, the you know, like, the Baptist uh, yeah. drinkers. Yeah. It's just funny. Like these two dudes are creeping on this lady 
and uh, they run into each other while they're both creeping on her. And then they have to, then they, then they decide, Oh, it's like, we'll do this together and form this plot. And this is what we're about to read about. And it actually reminds me of the watchers from before the flood that they bind themselves together in this oath, knowing that they were sinning. You yeah. Know? It's very reminiscent of that too. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm sorry. You, let me see here. Oh, and then I just wanted to put it last year because you and I just read this recently as we were studying scripture together. This is this is also what we're seeing right here as well. These guys are violating the, you know, the Torah. In Jubilees 20, verse 4, if any if any woman or maid committed fornication amongst you, burn her with fire and let them not commit fornication with her after their eyes and their hearts. And this is so the the, the wording of it is very quick, it quickly changes from talking about women to men because it then says and let them not commit fornication with her after their eyes and their hearts, meaning they're mm -hmm. looking at women with lust. So um, the first part of the sentence is talking about a woman. The second part directly starts talking about how men view women. And then uh, I just think it's interesting because this is what Matthew 5, 27, 28, Yeshua is referring to as well as, as, you know, not just committing the act of adultery, but letting it fester and grow in your eyes and your heart. And this is what Jubilees has mentioned as well. So. Right. Yeah. And so that... That wouldn't be a new concept, right? Yeshua teaching that. And this is my kudos to my beautiful wife, Jessica. She uh, she came across this as we were going through this chapter and yeah. discovered that, hey, look at like it even says not to commit fornication with your your eyes and with your heart. So mm -hmm. it wasn't just like the old way was only with your eyes. And then when Yeshua introduced this new, new how it's, you know, if you lust upon a woman, then you're committing adultery with her in your heart type thing, too, which he you know cares about as well so it, it's it's not a new concept he's always cared about the heart and so my sweetie pie picked that out thank you jessica all right um you want me to take the second part here the next part yeah sure uh so in verses 16 through 22 it goes on to say and no one was there except the two elders who had hid themselves and were watching her and this is when she went to go bathe she said to her maids Bring me oil and ointments and shut the garden doors so that I may bathe. They did as she said, and they shut the garden doors and went out by the side doors to bring what they had been commanded. And they did not see the elders because they were hidden. And when the maids had gone out, the two elders rose and ran to her and said, look, the garden doors are shut. No one sees us and we're in love with you. So give your consent and lie with us. And if you refuse, we will testify against you that a young man was with you. And this was why you sent your maids away. Susanna sighed deeply and said, I am hemmed in on every side, for if I do this thing, it is death for me. If I do not, I shall not escape your hands. It's so sad. <laughs> yeah, she's unfortunately caught in a sad pickle. Yeah. Yeah, this is a lose-lose here for her, unfortunately. Yeah, this is just straight up dastardly. My thing is like, I mean, I, you know, at the very beginning of this book, it says that, that Jehoiakim owned a spacious garden. So I don't know how what that means. I don't know if it's like three acres, five acres, 50 acres. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't exactly know what that means, but it, it's spacious enough, I guess, so that these two dudes can hide. She can come into another part of the garden and go to a pool area where she's going to bathe. And they, and they just trust that no one else is in there. Even though the beginning of this chapter said that these people show up at their house every day to decide these legal, these legal matters. You know, there's like traffic to her house. And then it says when they all left at noontime, then she would go walking in this garden. And so I think that's maybe she was just thinking nobody would be in there because they usually never are. And so these two creepers are in there because that's what creepers do. 
<laughs> yeah, they, they were picking up on her patterns, and yeah. they obviously were familiar with the uh, the landscape and where they could successfully hide and be voyeurs. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what we see kind of playing out here. Exactly. You know yeah. what, what? What's sad here is like, I mean, even if it was with one guy coming up saying, "I'm in love with you," like I need you're going to lie with me, or I'm going to make a you know fabricate a lie here. You got two guys coming, and that's you know that's just so sickening. Yeah, two two old dudes that want to come up to you and do some, you know, perversion, uh, sexual perversion. And, you know, she's a married woman and it just puts her in a situation where it's like, if you don't do this, we're basically going to have you killed is what they're saying to her. In case exactly. you guys aren't aware, in case you're not following in the audience, a part of the law was that, you know, this is why she said sighs deeply. She's like, if I do this thing, it's death for me. And that's what I think is interesting. Why, why you know, here in the highlighted area. She's like, if I do not, I shall not escape your hands, which also means death for her. So like to do this, even if these guys never told anybody in her heart and her mind, she feels like it's death to her. Right. And, and I standing against the father, right? Essentially. Yeah. 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 And I'll, I guess I'll just slip to the next one because she keeps talking about this um, in verse 23. She says, I choose not to do it and to, to fall into your hands. Speaking about the two old creepers the judges rather than to sin in the sight of the Lord. Then Susanna cried out with a loud voice and the two elders shouted against her. And one of them ran and opened the garden doors. And when the household servants heard the shouting in the garden, they rushed in at the side door to see what was happened to her. And when the elders told their tale, the servants were greatly ashamed for nothing like this had ever been said about Susanna. The next day, when the people gathered at the house of her husband, Jehoiakim, the two elders came full of their wicked plot, plot to have Susanna put to death. They said before the people, send for Susanna, the daughter of Hilkiah, who is the wife of Jehoiakim. So they sent for her and she came with her parents, her children and all her kindred. Yeah. So, I mean, the highlighted part here, I, I wanted to point out just the, obviously she's, you know, she's choosing, she's got to make a, a decision quick. Cause you got these two probably drooling Judeans over her and, uh, you know, they obviously have their mind made up as to how, which out of the options that they've given her, which one they want her to choose, which is interesting is, you know, the father says in Deuteronomy 22 about a woman who's in a field, essentially about to be raped. She's mm -hmm. to cry out. Right. That's right. Which, which shows that she's not consenting to this whatsoever. And so we have here Susanna crying out with a loud voice. So she's doing this. And, you know, the two elders are like, I don't know if they were expecting it or not probably not i mean they were so enamored with her and and you know yeah. distorted in their mind as to how this would lay out play out so she starts screaming and the two elders start shouting against her to try to like drown out her shouts i guess and then you know they're just they're, i would just wonder what's <laughs> going through their mind i mean obviously they're running to the doors and they're like okay uh this didn't go as planned so we got to go with this lie here <laughs> yeah it reminds me of uh like you know the ex extreme like political activists that just shout re you know they're just screaming re <laughs> it's like these old dudes you know they realize this is not going to go well so they're gonna have to go with their the you know their threat they're gonna have to enforce their threat to her so they just start screaming against her which is kind of funny um but also you're right brother you're you're 100 right this is what she's doing in case the people aren't aware she's following Torah. This is why at the beginning of the book, it tells you her parents taught her the law of Moses. Yeah. So she's following Torah. And this is actually guys, this is what's going to save her. So this is why I, I think this book is amazing to me. Like this book is truly amazing guys. It literally, the law of God is going to physically save her in her lifetime from death. 
because of God's righteous mm -hmm. wisdom implored to help discern and, and be a, a righteous judge, you know, between matters. So here in Deuteronomy 22, this is the, the, the context of why she screams. Um, in verse 23 to 27, it says that there is a girl who's a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city and lies with her. Then you shall bring them both out of the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus, you shall purge the evil from among you. And here's the secondary situation. Okay. So meaning that if she, if the first situation just explained to us, if they're in the city, which means they're around other people, then the woman needs to cry out. But the second scenario is if they're in the field and the man finds the girl who is engaged and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die, but you shall do nothing to the girl. There is no sin in the girl worthy of death. For just as a man rises against his neighbor and murders him, so it is in this case. When he found her in the field, the engaged girl cried out, but there was no one to save her because they're in a field. They're not around other people. And right. so she's actually not, she's, She's not worthy of death. So it's, um, um, I just think this is like, to me, it's like super beautiful because it protects the woman in both scenarios. Yes, exactly. There's protection encapsulated in this scenario for, for the woman. And I mean, obviously the first one that you read there, both parties are complicit, which is why they would be stoned to death. Right. But, uh, Susanna in her wisdom and in her good upbringing through her parents teaching her all about the father's law decided she was going to scream because she was married to Jehoiakim the man she loved and she didn't want to be committing what she thought was going to be adultery so mm -hmm. yeah yeah 100 percent. and guys and this story only gets better and uh we'll we'll jump back into it as soon as we come back from break Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, and their act removed our ability to walk around unrestricted. No need to worry, though. Hanging on his words has got you covered. Literally. Find a link in the video description. back to honor of kings season number three you were watching episode number seven we're covering the book of Susanna, and briefly we have a few characters here already introduced we have jehoiakim Susanna, who is the wife of jehoiakim and we have two creepy old corrupt judges <laughs> who have decided right. to you know lurk in the shadows to to watch this beautiful married woman uh taking a bath and then they uh decide to engage her and offer her um, an option to have sex with them or they're going to abuse their power and concoct a, a false scenario so that it incriminates her and causes her to essentially get killed according to the law of the father. So we have Susanna choosing to cry out and we're going to read what happens further on. Sean, do you want to pick that up? Yeah. 
here in verses 31 through 38, it says, Now Susanna was a woman of great refinement and beautiful in appearance. And as she was veiled, the wicked men ordered her to be unveiled, that they might feed upon her beauty. But her family and friends and all who saw her wept. Then the two elders stood up in the midst of the people and laid their hands upon her head. And she, weeping, looked up toward heaven, for her heart trusted in the Lord. And the elders said, As we were walking in the garden alone, this woman came in with two maids, shut the doors, shut the garden doors, and dismissed the maids. Then a young man who had been hidden, he came to her and lay with her. We were in the corner of the garden, and when we saw this wickedness, we ran to them. We saw them embracing, but we could not hold the man, for he was too strong for us, and he opened the doors and dashed out. So we seized this woman and asked her who the young man was, but she would not tell us. These things we testify. The assembly believed them because they were elders of the people and judges, and they condemned her to death. Then Susanna cried out with a loud voice and said, O eternal God, who dost discern what is secret, who art aware of all things before they come to be? You know that these men have borne false witness against me, and now I am to die. Yet I have done none of the things that they have wickedly invented against me. The Lord heard her cry, and as she was being led away to be put to death, God aroused the Holy Spirit of a young lad named Daniel. All right. We got another character introduced here, and uh, I just want to point out in the chat here, Sister Marcia saying, this is encouraging to stand with Yah over wickedness. Yes, absolutely, Sister. And it seems to uh, pan out quite well for Susanna in this situation as the father hears her crying out after this guilty verdict is communicated to uh, the assembly that is gathered there. And uh, Sean, it's, just, it's, in, it's interesting because... Even though these guys have brought her before, you know, their the rest of the elders and and you know the community that they've they've gathered together here, they still in their creepiness want to get a look on her, right? They they ask her to take off all her clothes. I mean, you would think. I mean, I don't know if this is something that they wanted to hopefully prove to the people, that, like that she would show some sort of marks or something like that, proving that she was with this young man that they've claimed that she was with, but. To me, it's just they want to get a last glance at her if they can. And it's, it's just weird because the friends and family are like weeping over this this event, too. And they're like, what is going on? You know, Ken, I did not realize that that's you think that that's what's happening. I didn't realize that's what's happening. Uh, possibly. So I didn't know that if this means that she removed her, her clothes. But um, I guess that would make a lot more sense why her family would start crying. Yeah, because there's there's she was veiled, and the wicked men order her to remove her veils that they might feed upon her beauty. Right? Look at her her yeah her naked body again. But it's so weird. Like it's like shouldn't that spark some sort of a um you know a thought in in the other elders that were around there, being like, wait, what are you doing here? Why why are you guys yeah. ordering her to unless yeah you're investigating and trying to prove that maybe. There was something on her body that would show that a man, another man was with her or something like that. I don't know. I don't know why, why they would even think to do that. Yeah, because even that, you know, goes against uh, the Torah, right? To not look on the nakedness of your of your neighbor's daughter or wife. So, it, yeah, that would be weird. Um, yeah, <laughs> someone in the chat saying, "If I was Suzanne, I'd be freaked out." And then uh, other other people are actually starting to catch on. I think to whether they've read this book or not, um, they're saying this can't be the first time that these corrupt judges use their power. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Stephen Schofield is saying they did not mention why they were in the garden when they gave their testimony against Susanna. And so that, these are some of the thoughts that went through my mind as well when I was reading this. I was like, no, wait a minute. No one's going to ask these judges 
why were you in this garden? Yeah. Who this is some else, someone else's house. Like, and apparently it literally has, uh, you know, like I've tried to express in previous episodes, the word garden in Hebrew means a walled off structure. And that's what we're reading here is that there's doors to this garden. Yeah, like this is not just an open field with some trees and then a pool. Like this is a walled off structure. And then like, this is under the, you know, the, the, the possession and authority of the of Jehoiakim and his servants, you know? And so like, that's why the servants go in with Susanna. To, and so she needs to bathe. So they leave because they don't want to look on her nakedness and give her some privacy. And then they shut the doors to this place. So why the heck are you old dudes in the corner of this garden? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? And so I just, to me, that's, that would have been that dude raising my hand in that, in that trial being like, wait a minute, wait a minute. But Ken, maybe, maybe that is, you know, one of the things that's God is arousing the spirit within Daniel. Yes. Yes. And we're going to read about that, but it, it, it's so sad because you know, the, the concluding remark here by these two guys is these things we testify. And then it says the assembly believe them because they were elders of the people and judges, meaning they are to be trustworthy individuals, right? Like why would you ever question what they have to say? Right. They, yeah. they hold these positions for a reason. And, and, there's it's a position that was supposed to be given by the father right and and validated by the father yeah. so, which makes us even worse it just it's it's terrible it's absolutely terrible but yeah so we're getting to see daniel here and the holy spirit within this young lad daniel gets aroused and this is in response to susanna's crying up to the father being like hello you know oh and please stay out here because these judges are about to put me to death for something I have not done. And the father, in his loving kindness, as Marcia says, it's encouraging because Yah, when you choose to side with the father and do things according to his eternal loving way, he will respond. And he does and he does so in this uh this moment. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to me that. Maybe what what catches Daniel's attention? I know, right? That's funny. Yeah. Well, maybe what catches Daniel's attention is the idea that this woman, when when convicted by these corrupt judges, she's not turning to them and you know shouting at them and anger and, and and violence, but yet she still just looks to God. She still just looks to heaven and been and is like, God, you got to you got to save me at this point. Like, you know, because because you know, imagine like how many how many. Um, real life videos that we've seen of people getting convicted and they like shout at the judge and scream at the bailiff and scream at the attorneys and turn it like how many times I've seen these horrible videos where people have been convicted of murder. They look over at the victim's family and just smile or laugh yeah. as they're being dragged away. And after they've been sentenced to murder and it's just like, you know, she's not exhibiting the behavior of someone that's guilty. Uh, she's, she's truly acting righteous. And to me, if Daniel knew who Jehoiakim was, which clearly I, I this seems like a tight knit community. I'm sure he did. He would know that Daniel was a man of righteousness who taught his family, the law of Moses. Mm -hmm, exactly. And she, she used the law of Moses to cry out. And that's part of, you know, the common knowledge of them coming to this uh, trial the next day. Cause this is only like the next day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what's interesting to me here, Sean is, you know, Jehoiakim is present, correct? Are we to, we're to assume that it's this is her family. Right. And so, there is another um, mandate within the Torah about, you know, if a husband suspects his wife of committing adultery, um, isn't he to bring her before the priests and there to give her something to drink? And then the whole, you know, the whole swollen belly type thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's almost like they, you know, why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he have stood up and been like, wait a minute, guys, like, uh, let's, let's do this other option. Yeah. You know, is this because, I mean, they're in Babylon, right? Also, they, they are, but it, there's no, you know, dust from the temple floor, but also this could just fall under the, you know, the two, two or three witnesses and matters established. And these two old dudes are just falsely slandering her with their false testimony, you know, right, right. saying, saying they witnessed this when they, they really didn't. So, yeah. And that's, you're, you're pointing to Deuteronomy 19, right? Where, where it says you must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So that's, you know, that's part of the Torah. That's part of the legality um, regarding how you are to properly convict somebody on the basis of not just one witness, it's requiring two to three witnesses. And, 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 you know, this is something that's really important. So we have the two witnesses technically, right? And they, they claim to be witnesses, but you know, we're well aware of the fact that there can be false witnesses, which we see even in Yeshua's, um, trial, you know, these false witnesses coming up against him and, and saying things that were not true, but, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. A hundred percent. This is, this is the, it's not a loophole in the law because they think they found a loophole in the law, right? But this is where God who sees all, which is what Susanna prays, you know, and then God moves in this passage here to, he heard her cry and then he, he arouses the spirit within Daniel. Yeah. Um, now, Sean, do you think this is speculative? This is just fun, like questioning here, but did the father have to arouse the spirit in Daniel in order for Daniel to speak up? You think Daniel was sitting by being like, keeping his mouth shut because he's a young lad and he, you know, is he being tricked by these guys? Do you think? And the father literally has to like turn something on inside of his his spirit to invoke him to be like, wait a minute, something's fifty here. Uh yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Um, it seems like because of the way it says the Lord heard her cry, and then he, you know, God aroused the Holy Spirit in Daniel. Um, I it feels like it's possible that just. The, you know, it coalesces with the timing of everything that's happening. Now she's literally being let off to go be stoned. Um, and so whether she, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel, I feel like the text is saying that God does prompt him in some way, but yeah, it, even, even if God supposed, even if the text didn't say that God prompted him and he still spoke up that that's a common thing we see in the Torah. You remember, I can't remember the passage. And if anyone in the chat remembers this passage, go ahead and put it in the chat. But uh, Ken, do you remember the, the passage in the Torah where it talks about um, if there was a if there was a dead body found in between the cities and they didn't know who killed this person, then they were to go and make atonement so that the blood would not be upon their city and upon their their area. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. that or not. Yeah, I don't know where which passage the passage that is, but yeah, so because they were really really concerned about innocent blood being upon their heads as judges and rulers. Or, and this is actually built yeah. into the Torah, you know, so that to me, that could be the same sense of, of duty and responsibility. That's it's that would be supposed to be inherently in the righteous judges as we're seeing Daniel exhibit. So, mm -hmm. all right, I can read on John. Sure. Go ahead. All right. So here's Daniel responding and he cried with a loud voice. I'm innocent of the blood of this woman. All the people turned to him and said, what is this that you've said? Taking his stand in the midst of them, he said, Are you such fools, you sons of Israel? Have you condemned the daughter of Israel without examination and without learning the facts? Return to the place of judgment. For these men have borne false witness against her. Then all the people returned in haste. 
And the elders said to him, Come, sit among us and inform us, for God has given you that right. And Daniel said to them, Separate them far from each other, and I will examine them. When they were separated from each other, he summoned one of them and said to him, You old relic of wicked days, your sins have now come home, which you have committed in the past, pronouncing unjust judgments, condemning the innocent and letting the guilty go free. Though the Lord said, Do not put to death an innocent and righteous person. Now then, if you really saw her, tell me this. Under what tree did you see them being intimate with each other? He answered, Under a mastic tree. And Daniel said, Very well, you have lied against your own head. For the angel of God has received the sentence from God and will immediately cut you in two. Then he put him aside and commanded them to be commanded them to bring the other. And he said to him, You offspring of Canaan and not of Judah. Beauty has deceived you, and lust has perverted your heart. This is how you both have been dealing with the daughters of Israel, and they were intimate with you through fear. But a daughter of Judah would not endure your wickedness. Now then tell me, under what tree did you catch them being intimate with each other? He answered, under uh, an evergreen oak. And Daniel said to him, Very well, you also have lied against your own head. For the angel of God is waiting with his sword to saw you in two, that he may destroy you both. Ah, <laughs> it's great. It's great. So this Finally, is we get we get some examination going on, right? Yeah. I mean, this is this is true justice taking place yeah. here. This is what was supposed to have been done. Um, and what's unique is he's examining the uh, accusers and not just the accused. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like, you know, we're watching like, you know, CSI criminal investigation unit, like way before um way before modern police detective work like he's this is a common police tactic you you separate the people and you get different stories from them and you can tell you get not only do you get more information about the, the course of the events of the crime but you can also figure out who's lying yeah exactly and so actually ken i actually um i looked up a mastic tree and this is what a mastic tree looks like so this is a both a man yep. and a woman standing next to a mastic trees and these are in the Middle East and these are, they're not very big, you know, and most maybe 12 feet tall. They have a very unique trunk and, and limbs that are very twisted and, you know, they're not straight, but this is an evergreen oak. Quite a bit of difference in size there when you compare the two, <laughs> right, Sean? Yeah, man. You can drive a semi under these, under these limbs. These are massive and look at the little guy compared to the, the huge massive trunk of an evergreen oak. And then you can see the road on the right-hand side picture with the beautiful shaded road of all the evergreen oaks. And you could literally drive a semi underneath those. Mm -hmm. well, these are massive trees. So these guys are just retarded. These guys are, these, these guys did not get their story straight. You know, yeah, they, they didn't corroborate their, the story that they were going to tell. Probably. Yeah. No. So this is, this is what actually, you know, trips up their story. Here's another evergreen oak, just with the size comparison of another, you know, a woman standing next to it. So, um, and this was actually a smaller one that I found. So these are massive trees, nothing alike, very different. And in fact, the mastic tree can, um, it actually drips a gummy substance uh, and it pours out of its, of its um, limbs and its trunk as well. And they usually actually use mastic trees for gum um, to make different kinds of gum and stickiness. Mm -hmm. So, it's interesting to me that, you know, you seems like you would, you know, if you're I just, it's not a tree that you would hide under for one, in my opinion. So like this, 
you know, like people have already asked in the chat, you know, what's going on? Why are these two dudes? Why is no one asking these two dudes? Why are you even in this garden to begin with? You know, because it's her. You're literally on. Her, it's like you're walking in her backyard. You yeah. know, like, why are you hanging out in the corner of her backyard? You know, mm -hmm. and, and then, oh, you suddenly see her engaging with some other dudes. So you claim, you know, you're like, why are you in the backyard to begin with? And that's the part that it's like they don't even ask these dudes because it's so ludicrous to begin with. But yet. But yet Daniel seems to be the only one that's catching this, you know, and so it prods him to slow down the prosecution. Let's do some more investigation and examination because and he starts to think to himself, all right, well, what are some of the surroundings of, of where they claim the story took place, which is in this walled off garden? All right, there's trees in there. Well, let's just see which which trees they were standing beside, because the mastics, as I showed you, I'll put it back on screen. It, the mastic trees. Um, one second. These. I think you could actually hide behind these. Yeah, you could successfully, you know, shade yourself behind those leaves there. Yeah, if you have a whole bunch of them in an actual grove, it might shield you enough, you know, to hide behind them because they're kind of your your height. Yeah. But but these you can't. I mean, you could hide behind these if you wanted to, but you but one you can't put a whole bunch of them together easily like you can the mastic trees and shade your whole body. So that means you'd have to be peeking out around the corner of these. But either, either way, their story doesn't corroborate, and there's no explanation of why they're in the garden to begin with. So Daniel's just trying to show some logic here to try to break down this, this horrible accusation. So um, do you want me to read these last few verses? Yeah, well, before you get to that, I was just going to say I love how in verse 50, um, you know, when the father stirs up in Daniel this, you know, come on, let's let's question these guys, this story, right? It's not corroborating properly. The elders respond to verse 50 saying, come sit among us and inform us for God has given you that right. Hmm. So Daniel's practicing his God-given right to, you know, essentially um, put forth the idea of you are innocent before proven guilty, right? Yeah. And that's a God-given right is to to respond and to be able to examine people who are being put in these situations um, in, in the manner that we see in the story. And it's uh, it's just amazing that the father has has given all these rights to people to to prove to people that are claiming that they are guilty, that they are actually innocent. And so we it's just great because we have a, a, a not just a couple people here. We have a group of elders and understanding that it is a god-given right for daniel one of the elders among them who just happens to be the youngest one probably doing what he's he was supposed to do and what the other one should have been doing right yeah yeah which is why at the top of this verse 46 he cries out i'm innocent of the blood of this woman and uh my wife actually put in the chat the the verse the chapter that i was looking for and uh david Shear has has put it on screen for us and it's uh, January 21 says, if anyone be found slain in the land, which the Lord your God gives you to possess its line in the field and be not known who slain him, uh, then the, your elders and your judges shall come forth and they shall measure unto the cities which are round about him that is slain. And it shall be that the city which is next to the, unto the slain man, even the elders of that city shall take a heifer, which has not been uh, wrought with and which is not drawn in a yoke. And, uh, and I think the rest of it says they, they basically sacrifice to make atonement for the, for the blood so mm -hmm. that they are, not guilty of that blood basically um so the the whole point is that's to me like it's a big deal daniel doesn't want to be guilty of this innocent woman's blood as he as he screams right right and and supposedly he's got a lot of wisdom obviously but um it makes me think that the other judges and and elders did not because 
they appointed these two corrupt judges and elders that they're mm. dealing with as their um, as their uh, contemporaries. Yeah. So it's like here we got the younger guy, and I don't know what it means by young lad, but to me, if he's going to sit with the judges, he I think according to tradition, he had to at least be 30, 30 years old. Um, but you know, you could have sixty-year-old men calling people a young lad. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, like like last night I was talking to a guy that hates the Bible and uh, he got mad at me during the course of the conversation. And he was like, yeah, I've forgotten more than you've ever learned, you know, because he was calling me young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he didn't he didn't know that I'm 40. And uh, so it's just funny that like uh, this is the mindset you see from sometimes from a lot of older men is that they uh, not only do they perfect corruption, so they'll appoint their their other you know, they're bros, they're appoint their little, little buddy system to, to these positions of power. But then they look at the younger people as youngerness. And so it is very unique that you pointed this out. And I, this was what struck out to me too, when I was reading this, it was yeah. like, why did they give him this opportunity to even pursue more examination like this? Um, and it makes me wonder if what we see earlier in the book of Daniel with how the other kings have treated Daniel and how he in this could possibly be a situation. I don't know the exact timeline of when this story is taking place, but had he already had encounters with, uh, you know, being thrown in the lion's den with, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, with yeah. Dar- with Darius, uh, because he refused to stop praying or whatever it was. And, and I just think, I wonder if like they already heard about him at this point. And so this is why they gave him this honor to, to do further examination. Yeah, it could very well be. I mean, I guess the Septuagint puts this as like chapter 13 in the book of Daniel, right? So if we're thinking of a chronology here, then I guess it would have been after all of that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about. And even Sean, in the law, it talks about how, um, you know, and just, just touching on where Daniel's crying out, I am innocent of the blood of this woman. If mm-hmm. he hadn't cried out, then I guess he would have him and the elders would have been guilty of the blood of the woman, right? Which is something in the law where the father says, if you mm-hmm. if you are silent regarding a matter and that person gets put to death and they're innocent, you're innocent, you're guilty of that person's blood and you are mm-hmm. to receive the same penalty. That's right. So That's it's right. a serious matter. And uh, someone in the chat is talking about. And another point that I wanted to bring up, which is, I think it's kind of funny how Daniel addresses this first guy he's interrogating. He just straight out, he just comes right out. He's just like, no, no punches pulled. Just you relic of wicked days. <laughs> he's just like, he's just cutting right to the quick, man. He's like, your sins have now come home. His whole opening statements to this guy is like, Daniel already knows that this has been a pattern mm-hmm. and that this guy has presided over other injustices as well and possibly done these other things like this as well, which makes me think this is them finally getting caught and not a first time event. Um, And so it, because he's literally saying like your sins have now come home, which you've committed in the past, pronouncing your judgment, uh, unjust judgments, condemning the innocent, letting the guilty go free. And it just makes these guys were so good, like with their story, trying to cover their basis in the story to not get caught and to make sure they can ensure the threat towards Susanna. It sounds like they had, practiced this before you know yeah um how do you treat the daughters of israel like this is what he says to the next one yeah i was just going to point that out how he you know you've been dealing with the daughters of israel and you were being intimate with them and Mm -hmm. you know they had acquiesced to your advances because they were scared of you yet Mm -hmm. you know the daughters of judah uh, wouldn't endure such wickedness that you were you know positioning to them and um 
it's 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 so interesting, Sean, because it's like we're told that these two guys are from the tribe of Judah, right? At the beginning, they're Judeans. Um, and I just couldn't help but uh, make a quick mention to the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, where in the Judah's account, he's talking about nearing the end of his book essentially he goes through kind of the history of all the things that he did corruptly through his life and one of them was just getting drunk and fornicating with women that he shouldn't have and um in verse 17 it talks about how and he's telling his sons and and future progeny of his his tribe saying and now i command you my children not to love money nor to gaze upon the beauty of women because for the sake of money and beauty i was led astray to bashua the canaanite and then he talks about how they're going to be corrupted later on. So it's just sad because this is what we're seeing here. Uh, you know, the, the definition of lusting after someone and, and being corrupt is, is what we're seeing with these two judges who just so happen to be from the lineage of Judah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Interesting connection, man. Good call. So then we have, um, yeah, so I think it... Yeah, man, he's he's definitely Daniel's definitely he's he's revealing in his in his interrogation with these two guys. There's that he had already assumed there's more to the story is mm-hmm. kind of what I love about this, you know, and to the point where he he hasn't deter- they haven't even said anything yet. But he walks right up to the first dude and he calls him a relic of wicked old, an old relic of wicked days or something like that. You know, what I'm saying like yeah, yeah. right out the gate, he's already realized their story's off. Um, this is not right. Every She's following the law. These guys, and so it seems, seems to me there was some sort of pattern, and uh, and it makes me it reminds me of um, who are those two priests that were sleeping with the women at the temple door? Oh, those were uh, the sons of Eli. Sons of Eli, yes, yeah. yeah. Same concept. They were supposed to be judges in a position of authority over the people, and they were taking advantage of that with younger women. So that was hundreds of years mm-hmm. before this, but yeah. the same same scenario, I guess. So yeah. Um, All right, we can. We can pick up with the rest there. I can I can read on. Go ahead, brother. All right. Then it says, Then all the assembly shouted loudly and blessed God, who saves those who hope in him. And they rose against the two elders, for out of their own mouths Daniel had convicted them of bearing false witness. And they did to them as they had wickedly planned to do to their neighbor. Acting in accordance with the law of Moses, they put them to death. Thus innocent blood was saved that day. And Hilkiah and his wife praised God for their daughter Susanna. And so did Joachim her husband and all her kindred because nothing shameful was found in her. And from that day onward, Daniel had a great reputation among the people. It's hmm. awesome. Yeah, very, very interesting. Awesome, awesome. So this, I mean, this parallels to what we you know we see in the actual law of Moses. It's mentioning this is in accordance with the law of Moses. This is true. This is yeah. exactly how things are laid out and how you're to deal with people who are, you know, putting forth a false witness. And, uh, I mean, this is a brief book, Sean, mm-hmm. but we see very poignant parallels being made here to the law of God. We have corrupt judges, which is a history throughout Israel that unfortunately isn't in just a book like this, right? I mean, we see it in other books talking about how the judges and the priests were corrupt and they were doing things against the, his law and, and they weren't dealing righteously and the way they should have been in their positions of authority. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing nothing but parallels being made here. And like we said at the beginning of the broadcast, this book was originally in the Greek Septuagint. And um, there's no reason why we would hack this little 
book out and 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 call it something uh, other than scripture. My opinion. <laughs> Game Genie says it's a great episode of Law and Order. It's very punny, Game Genie. I love it. Yeah, it is because that's what we're seeing happen. Like we have on screen here, Deuteronomy nineteen sixteen through twenty. This is exactly what Daniel did. Mm-hmm. He's following the law of God, and it tells us that Susanna was taught the law of God. And we see these other two corrupt judges not doing the law of God and the law of God prevails, you know? So this is all it takes is for people to actually do what's written down. And, and just for the viewer's sake, you know, just because what we just saw, this is summed up in January 1916. And this, to me, this would be the thing going through Daniel's mind, you know, which is like, these guys didn't investigate thoroughly enough. Cause it says in these passages, if a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who will be in the office in those days. The judges shall investigate thoroughly. And that's not what happened until mm-hmm. Daniel, until Daniel made a situation out of it and told him, you know, you know, dramatically cries out, the blood of this innocent woman will not be on my hands. You know, like what did that sound like? You know, because um, I, yeah. I just imagine this scene where like they're all walking away from the place of, of the judgment and they're going to stone her and this crowd of people or families crying. And then Daniel's just sat like sitting down, like still thinking in his head, you know, like Columbo or something, you know, he's like, just, just one more question, just one more question, you know, and like, and then he just shouts out, you know, I'm not going to be guilty of this innocent woman's blood. And then get, everyone turns around and looks at him and, and uh, I could easily imagine that scene in a movie, yeah. but he basically enforces this Deuteronomy law which is to investigate thoroughly to discover there is a false accusation. And then of course um, uh, that's what becomes true. So it's just so beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I see Daniel doing, you know, he's kind of going through the law, you know, the the book of Deuteronomy, he's, he's going back to the book of Exodus uh, chapter 23, verse seven, which says, keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous for I will not acquit the wicked. So he's he's just playing all these these you know laws in his mind and being like, wait a minute, no, I I can't be guilty here, <laughs> I can't put this innocent blood to death because I know the law. And if you brothers and sisters remember from our previous uh, episode here on Honor of Kings, we actually found out that Daniel was from the tribe of Levi, and according to chapter one of Bell and the Dragon, well, I guess it's only one chapter, anyways. Chap- chapter one, verse two of Bell and the Dragon. In the Greek Septuagint, it talks about how Daniel was a priest. Mm-hmm. So, yep. this is this is serious for him, right? He he needs to make sure that these uh, these two judges that have put this guilty verdict on the woman is actually legitimate, and he understands the seriousness of of you know not invoking his God given right to. response from the elder on him so it's, it's just great and it it just gives daniel that extra bit of uh amazingness in my opinion as a prophet as a priest as a as an elder and a respected mm-hmm. uh, individual among his Hebraic community and sorry judaism i don't see i don't see that why you would hate on someone like this he's he's well, actually but- keeping the law of god whereas you know you guys <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of the the reason right jesus is like you guys aren't even keeping this law of god same thing with paul in galatians 6 where he's talking about the pharisaical crowd that was you know trying to tell people they had to be circumcised in order to actually receive salvation and uh, that's what all of Galatians is addressing. And, at the, and in Galatians 6, he actually tells you that those who are trying to force you to do this don't even keep the law themselves. Yeah. You know, and it's this is what, exactly what Jesus dealt with with Pharisaical Judaism. They're hypocrites. 
So this is why they would want to hide and, and remove uh, good information about Daniel. Cause not only was he a priest, which they don't like that stuff because Yeshua became our high priest and they try to ignore all the stuff about the priests, but um, he's also keeping the law of God accurately and faithful. And so that's not something we see um, promoted in, in the, in the gospels by the Pharisees. So of yeah. course, of course, in the first century, when they developed their little canon, they would want to leave this book out. Exactly. And he also has a history of exposing false priesthoods. So yeah. you, don't, you don't want to have people, you know, cluing into the fact that you might be a false priesthood. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, awesome. uh, yeah, you want to take some questions real quick? Yeah, let's see what we got in the chat here. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed this episode of this brief book. You know, we think it's a thumbs up, right, Sean? We're giving this a book a, yeah, a, uh, for sure. a stamp of approval with regards to whether or not it's scripture. Um, I'm going to include it into my Bible and, uh, we'll see what you guys have to say about that. Any questions out there? Just put them in all caps, please in the chat and uh, we can answer a few. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and again, it, little books like this, they may see, cause it's just like one big chapter and people think, Oh, it may not seem important, but how much of the law did we learn through this application of the law in this story? A lot, you know, a yeah. lot like this was huge and, and not just to the sake of, you know, like land appropriations or how to treat your animal, but this was like life and death stuff. And this, this dealt with not just, um, the heart of adultery and lust, but also the, the, the application and of, of slandering someone as a false witness, uh, deals with the, the righteous or the unrighteousness of corrupt judges who are supposed to be righteous. It deals with, uh, the actual proceedings. Like we actually get to watch the law being played out which let's think about this how many other times do we get to watch that in the old testament not very often like we we get all the instruction regarding how you're to act and how things are supposed to be carried out if you're in these positions of authority but we don't actually see too many scenarios we do see in the new testament hmm. whether or not these verses were included in the original greek manuscripts or not i know there's there's contention about whether or not it, it's legitimate uh, scenario with Jesus and uh, you know the Pharisees bringing a woman caught in adultery. That mm -hmm. whole scenario was a false scenario that really, you know, it, it, it wasn't on the law. It was exactly, and Jesus yeah. wasn't. He wasn't a technical judge. He was. He wasn't someone that you were to bring. You know, a woman like that to to condemn, anyways. And the whole thing was just fallacious from the very get from the very get go. But yeah. We don't, yeah, to what you said, John, we don't see very many instances of, of a real tangible scenario where this actually plays out. And so that's why this is fascinating. We do see a lot of stories in the Old Testament about people not following the law, you know? And so, uh, but I, I love this, this little story. To what you said about Jesus and the woman that's brought to him that was caught in adultery by the Pharisees. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always taught on my channel is that the reason why Jesus couldn't condemn her in any regard was not, not just because he was, he wasn't the actual judge at that time, but also because uh, they didn't have the man with it. And that's part of the law is that both the woman and the man caught in adultery should have been brought forward. And that's kind of the story of these two corrupt judges in the book of Susanna is they say, well, we couldn't grab the man that she was with because we were like, he was stronger than us and he, he got away, yeah. you know? So they, they knew enough of the law to try to twist it. And so I think that that's interesting. Um, but yet here in Jesus's day, the Pharisees that are trying to 
bring forward a woman without the man and not bring him to the judges, but bring forth the Jesus to cast judgment. Like they're not following the law in any regard. It's just, it's, it's horrible, you know? And so, um, yeah, I just, man, this book is exciting. Okay. So Sean, we've got kingdom truth. We're asking when is Testament of Solomon coming Time frame. Well, brother, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, there's there's so many books. Um, that is a brief one as well. So I think Sean and I are are liking covering as many books as we can, which is you know why we've done Susanna today. We did Bell and the Dragon last week. Um, we can we can bump that one up nearing the top of the list. I think Sean, if you're if you're game, we can we can cover maybe that one pretty soon. But uh, mm -hmm. we're not sure, brother. But it is on the list and it remains on the list. So yeah, it is. Um, Miss Janet's asking, she's wondering who the man was. And I, I don't know if you're talking about the, the story with Yeshua or hopefully, uh, I didn't say something to confuse you about what we just read through the book of Susanna. There was no man, uh, in the book of Susanna. That was just part of the lie from the corrupt judges. So, yeah. but if you're, if you're asking about Matthew chapter eight, I, we're not told who the man was. Yeah, the whole thing was that they lied. The, the yeah. men were them. They were, it was almost <laughs> them. Right. It was almost yeah. They wanted to be the men. Yeah. yeah, which is which is just oh, can you imagine like that? Just uh, it's cringe cringe level one thousand right there. Yeah. Old yeah. dudes walking up to you, you're trying to take a bath, and they're like, "Hey," uh, and think about their approach. Their approach just I was literally laughing, you know, studying this when I was li listening to their approach. Like, oh, the doors are shut, and uh, we love you so lie with us. And you're like, bro, you need really need to work on your, your approach here. Like that is the worst. Yeah. These guys like this shows you the depravity of their mentality. Just like they straight come up to a naked woman and are like, we love you. You know, like with no, with no regard for the, the weirdness of any of it or the social awkwardness or obviously the unjust unrighteousness of it, but also it's two dudes. It's not just like mm -hmm. one creeper that pops out of the bushes. These guys literally popped out of the bushes. It's not just like one creeper, but it's like two creepers that pop out and they're like, we love you. <laughs> You're like, dude, just let her put her clothes on for a minute. Once you step away, you weirdo. I know. And the full extent of the creepiness was that they were cool with both engaging together you know i don't that's no yeah no it gets, that's it just, gets really yeah. weird man <laughs> this is yeah. this is a really um adult story for sure but at the same times um man this is I, I can't i can't be um encouraged this this book this little bitty book has encouraged me more than some other books that we already have in the canon because it's just we we literally get to watch the law being adjudicated in a beautiful way that saves someone's life mm -hmm. and proves that Yahweh is righteous and wiser than we are. Yeah. You know, and his law will cut through the lies and he will vindicate the righteous, you know. So I just I think it's amazing. Amazing mm -hmm. book. Yeah, I'm reminded actually of uh while I was studying this book and reading the story, um I was reminded about the scenario with Solomon and the two women and the one, you know, both of them having a baby and the one died in the middle of the night that whole thing like i was just like man he was so wise with how he dealt with that right I'm, i was just like yeah. why wasn't that implemented right away with this scenario yeah. but thankfully we have the hero daniel coming to to save the day under the uh, authority and holy spirit invoked uh nudge of of the father so it was great yeah and even as you i, th I think you mentioned this earlier on about how the husband jehoiakim he didn't he didn't suggest that his wife undergo 
the Numbers chapter 5 test of adultery. And like we said, you got the two witnesses, so maybe the judges decided we're not even going to allow that test to happen uh, because we're just – and I think, you know, if I'm not mistaken, um, I think wasn't wasn't there like conception supposed to – like if the woman was pregnant and the husband suspected her of, of, of adultery? So I don't know if that would have applied because supposedly according to these these slanderers, these liars' story – she didn't get to go through with being intimate. They they scared okay. off the guy. Okay, yeah, I don't I don't recall that that little bit of uh, pro- possible context if, if it included yeah. someone who was pregnant with regards to that. I don't I don't. It, it could that, be but. something I read about Josephus's commentary on that chapter um, because okay. I think that's what it. Either way, uh, but yeah, there's there's so many different ways it feels like this could have gone. But Daniel, of course, knew the right way. Cause he was super wise in the law. Cause he's a priest and he's supposed to know the law. Like, I just think yeah. that that's, it's so fitting. Yeah. Um, Jason T is asking Sean. Oh, you got on the screen. Okay. Have any interest in the temple scroll from Qumran? I, I think I started reading it last year and then I got sidetracked and I haven't gone back to it. So, so brother, there is interest for me. I just, I just have exploring that scroll properly so yes there is interest but i'm not i'm not i'm not sure if we would bring that up on honor kings possibly um i just i'd have to read it and study it first to see if it's something that we could you know talk about here in this type of show what do you about you sean uh the videos that i've watched four different videos uh supposedly reviewing this temple scroll and there was some there was some huge red flags that popped out to me but i would have to review uh the scroll and uh, study it some more before we would put together a show on it. But, uh, but it's not out of the realm. I just think that it's, it's definitely not, it's not something that people struggle with because it was never put into any canon anywhere. And so this, you know, the, the general thrust of this book is that we do, we're not afraid to address manuscripts that were not put in other canyons, but most of the ones we do are trying to clear up issues because these books have been, some of them have been put in other canons and some of them were not, and some of them were put in ours and some of them were not. So we're just, we're just trying to find a cohesion clarity of like what books were available to be added to canons um, at certain times. And the temple scroll, I've never heard of anyone included in their canon. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but um, I would think we would, uh, we'll, we'll put it. It's, I, I would say we consider it, but we'll have to, Ken and I'll have to talk about it. Yeah. And if brother Jason is, is, you know, interested in it. And, and, uh, he's asking about whether or not we've, you know, been interested in it at all, then I'm going to give it an extra look because brother Jason, I love you. And I know that you're a, a diligent student of the word. So thanks for your question, brother. For sure. And he's got, um, an incredible setup for Sukkot on his Hawaiian Island. Yeah. So I've seen that. I've seen your pictures you're posting, brother. It looks, I was trying not to covet your Sukkot set up on your hawaiian island man i was like oh that looks amazing he's an amazing photographer you ever seen his yeah his, yeah, yeah. It's yeah unbelievable yeah. yeah for sure all right brother i think i'm not seeing any questions really in the uh the comment section here i mean this book was pretty straightforward but mm-hmm. uh we hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode mm-hmm. and as always please hit that like button if if you were uh, benefited at all with our dialogue tonight uh if you didn't like it hit the thumbs down that's fine we still love you Please subscribe to Hang On His Words. Also, go over to Sean's channel, Kingdom and Contacts. Subscribe to him. Hit the bell for notifications on both of our channels if you want to see the new content as we release it. And uh, yeah, Sean, brother, I, I enjoyed it. And I, yeah. I thank you so much for your diligence and your willingness to 
present to the fine people that are our audience books like this and um, you know y'all willing we're going to continue doing this on this show honor of kings thanks guys we'll see you guys next week Ken Heidebrook. My heart's desire here at Hanging on His Words is to spread the entirety of the gospel message to whoever will hear it, and to serve my Creator by helping people learn how to be obediently in covenant with Him. Hanging on His Words is a ministry that not only teaches others how to run this faith race, but does so through compelling video and musical content. If you are someone that has personally been blessed by my music or video teachings or both, Please consider contributing to my efforts. My goals are to step up my music and video production value, and more importantly, to create content on a more frequent and full-time basis. This is where you, you, yes, you, my patrons can make this possible. Whether your support is financial or through prayers and encouragement, I just wanted to say thank you very much.